Good evening. Thank you for joining me tonight on The Garden. This is Bree, the gardener. I've been off the air for the last two weeks. The first week I got sick, as many of you have probably been sick. And last Monday, of course, was Christmas itself, so I chose to take the night off. I hope that everyone had a lovely Christmas this year. I did. Fortunately, most of my family was well and up and running by the time Christmas hit, so that was a blessing. Well, here on The Garden, we hope to take the hour from 8 to 9 p.m. to plant some thoughts of truth and beauty into your hearts and minds, and hopefully into ours as well as we prepare and research the shows. So tonight, uh, we are going to be talking about the topic of heaven. I say we because once again I have invited my mother to join me in the office. The Not the office, it feels a little bit like we're in an office, doesn't it? It does. It does. We've got our papers and things and our coffee. To join me in the studio tonight. Now a few weeks ago, I started off the show by telling you um, how much Christ loves you. Uh, I don't know, maybe you heard that, maybe you didn't, but after I did that broadcast, I couldn't help but think that it was so important to talk about heaven as well in, in compilation with that. I said, he loves you more than anyone has ever loved you. The evidence of his love is that he gave his life for you so that you can spend eternity in heaven. But what is heaven? What does it mean? The idea can be quite confusing. Um, I think that some people have the idea that heaven is not gonna be any fun. It's gonna be like one long endless church service or it's actually literally floating on the clouds with a harp in your hands. That idea has been so prolific. But that is not what the Bible teaches about heaven. And it's so important that we understand that heaven is really a wonderful prize worth having. Absolutely incredible. Um, And once we grasp that idea, I think that we're more prepared to love Christ and to accept his love as well, because his offering of heaven really is that love offering. So I'm going to start off with a quote by C.S. Lewis uh, that I read that I thought was absolutely, absolutely fabulous. And he said, um, to every soul, God will look like its first love because he is its first love. Your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it, made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. And that just totally resounded with my heart. I think that um, I needed that reminder that I am indeed so special to the God of the universe that he would make a place that is just for me, where I fit and I feel completely at home and that is perfect for me. And the same is true for you. All of the longing and desiring after a space to fit in, to be loved, to be understood, accepted, all of that will be fulfilled in heaven and all that heaven encompasses. And that is why we know that God, that Jesus, loves us. It's one of the many reasons that we know it. But if we don't understand how fabulous heaven is, that love will look a little bit cheaper to us than um, than it actually is. <clears throat> so C.S. Lewis also said, 
that joy is the serious business of heaven. So um, once again, like I said, I did invite my mother to join me for this show today. Um, And why did I invite her? Because she has a lot of revelation about heaven. And I almost would go so far as to say this has been the special focus in her walk with Christ. So I just used the word, the dangerous word, revelation, um, about your thoughts on heaven, and I know it will upset some people. So I wanted to start off with a defense of the idea that people who are now alive can be given visions or or have revelations. I know some people would say that revelation is adding to the Bible. Your response, Kim? (laughs) Actually, um, Brianna just let me know today about this question and I would kind of panicked I immediately panicked what am I going to say and then seconds later I felt like the Holy Spirit just dropped into my mind um, Acts 2 17 to 18 and you will all know these verses they're they're uh, pretty popular but before I read the verses just as a backdrop it's the day of Pentecost and Jesus had told his disciples and uh, gather, and I think there was 120, so not just the, the 12 um, disciples, but 120 people were gathered in an upper room and the Holy Spirit came. It says it came like fire and tongues were uh, settled on all of them and they all spoke in different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance and the people in the area it's hard to envision, you know, where they were, what people, how they heard them. But um, the people, <laughs> I want to say townspeople, but I don't know, uh, thought they were drunk because they're all speaking in these crazy languages. I would imagine when people are drunk, sometimes they're laughing and excited. And um, if that's partly why they called them drunk. So anyway, so Peter stood up to address the crowd. And this is what he said. He said, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And again, that's Acts 2, 17 to 18, and actually what Peter was doing is that is a prophecy from the book of Joel and that's in Joel chapter 2 starting with verse 8 and so he's actually just reading from the prophet Joel and so again this is Pentecost and people say or scholars say Pentecost is the start of last days that's when they all started And I just wanted to emphasize, some people might say, because it says your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions. So I don't think Peter was saying just young men will see visions or just old men will dream dreams. I think what what the prophet Joel and Peter were doing was specifying people from every walk of life. Um, Sons, you know, young and old, men and women, high class, low class, will prophesy, will see visions, will dream dreams. So um, I guess that's what my answer would be to Now, don't you think that Peter could have been saying that's what's happening right now and that that ended with the apostles? 
he was explaining to the people, well, look, the reason we're doing this is because of this word from Joel. Now we're the fulfillment of that. Right. And, and didn't that end then with those people? And I know that is what people from the Reformed um, churches would say. Um, I do. I believe it says in the last days. It doesn't say on the day of Pentecost, God will do this. It says in the last days. But they did continue to do it. It's not that they only did it on that day of Pentecost. They right. continued for their life That's to right. do it. So. That's right. So and I'm saying of that could be still what he mean. He didn't, he didn't say, you're, anyway, never mind. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I think I forgot to bring it. I did write down, Brianna asked me, do peop, did people have visions in the Bible that weren't apostles? And there's two cases I found. One was Ananias. Um, God, it said God came to him in a vision and mm-hmm. spoke to him about Paul, that Paul was coming. That's right. And there's one other, but I don't remember it right now. Well, Philip's three daughters were prophesying. Yes. We know yes, that. Yes. Yeah. So is that what you were kind of asking? No, I just, you said, um, because he says in the last days and not on this day, but um, he didn't only do it on that day. So by saying in the last days, he still could have meant for the years, the next 30 years of my life. Oh, right. So I don't necessarily think that the fact that he didn't specify on this one day means that it meant it would go on forever and ever. Well, it was the prophet Joel that prophesied that in the last days. And then he's just... That's not really respond. I think we're not meeting eye to eye on what I'm trying to ask you. (laughs) We're not. Because you're saying... Well, do you want to answer it how you would answer it? Um... Well, I just think that it's silly to imply that any revelation that somebody has about things that are in the Bible is adding to the Bible, because by saying, oh, God has given me a, let's go with our topic tonight, a revelation about heaven, you're not trying to create a doctrine out of that. You're not trying to say this goes into the Bible as truth for the rest of, you know, the rest of eternity or the rest of our time on earth. Um, So that's just going way too far if that's what people would say. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Yes. yes. And I mean, I think that there are um, quite a few examples of people having visions throughout the New Testament besides the 12 apostles. You don't think so? I looked it up and I only found the two. But, okay. But I might, we might be wrong. Well, yes. what about Cornelius? Cornel- what was his vision? I, I can't remember. <laughs> Okay, so, but you do believe that visions would need to be tested against the scripture, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And we believe scripture is the final word. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so when did you first develop this interest in the topic of heaven that it then became your specialty? And it's funny because until when Brianna said that, that it was kind of my specialty, I, it was like, I guess it kind of is without... I hadn't really thought of it in that way before, but it's true. Um, But when I was about 14 years old, um, my mom brought home some dusty old books from our church library. I think they were getting, yeah, they were getting rid of them. They were just old books. And one of them was called Intramuros by Rebecca Springer. What caused me to pick that up? I have no idea. But I read this book and... I guess I could almost say it felt like it changed my life. It's a very fantastic tale about 
a woman that was away from her family. I don't know why. She was in some kind of a uh, nursing home. She wasn't old, like a, or a care home, I guess, because she was so sick. And um, she died. And, but she came out of her body, saw her body laying there, and her brother-in-law, who had died many years before, came into the room, picked her, took her by the hand, took her up to heaven. And so the book um, goes into quite detail of her time in heaven. And again, I was so young that I wasn't skeptical, I guess. And I did reread it again when I got older. Um, but what always about this certain book is that it just points to God. There's praise and worship all throughout her account, which I guess for me makes it seem believable. But I just want to say a couple little things about her and about the book. Um, it was written in 1898, so it's not like one of those books now, like there's a, a whole bunch of books and you kind of think, are these people just doing this to make money? I'm going to actually ask you to comment on that at the end of the broadcast. This would have been a good time to bring it up, but I we'll know. circle back around to okay. that topic. Okay, okay. And it's true, it's a fact, uh, well, from what I could read on Wikipedia, anyway, that she really was ill and bedridden and away from home when she got this vision. And um, she says, all I can tell you is this is how it came to me. She says, I don't know what else to tell you. She wrote it down. And then I read that her dad was a Methodist minister um, and that she married a man who late, who was a lawyer and then later became a part of the Illinois General Assembly, which is the legislature of Illinois. And, and But because of that, they were in Washington, D.C. a lot, her and her husband. And it says she lived most of her life in Washington, D.C., where she was known for her abilities and charm. And so while I was preparing my material for this... Um, I, that was the first time I learned that she was influential in Washington, D.C. And then it just kind of hit me. Okay, I think, this is just what I think, of course, my opinion. I think that throughout time, God does give visions of heaven to certain people. And how do we know there was a whole group of people in the early 1900s? Well, she wrote it in 1898. Um, that needed to hear about heaven. That's just my personal opinion. I think God used her. But the other interesting thing is I don't, that book is still um, pretty popular. And also there was many, there's been many editions of it. And um, Billy Graham even once wrote a foreword to one of the editions of her book. So Billy Graham is a pretty good endorsement um, because he's not charismatic because these kind of things tend to belong, unfortunately, to the charismatic world. It seems like something the conservative Christian world is a little more hands-off about. So is there something in this broadcast for the non-charismatic? Do you think this would be something more that would only interest people who are in that, that arena? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no. I, the, we're, we will be discussing <coughs> another book um, called Heaven, and Randy Alcorn is the author of that book. And it's I'm just about 100% positive that he was not charismatic. Is he passed? No. So he is not? He is not. Okay, I thought he passed away. <laughs> he just became charismatic. <laughs> um, 
And um, he isn't telling any of his own visions or revelations. What he's telling is what the Bible says. And so heaven is really all over the Bible. We just either don't see it or we miss it somehow. So wait, I'm going to pause you there because I said at the beginning that you have your own revelations of heaven, biblically founded. Um, So you're going to be talking about Randy Alcorn's book. What's the book called? It's called Heaven. It's just called Heaven. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. That's right. Is kind of the basis for our conversation tonight. But coupled with that, you have had your own visions and some pretty exciting moments with God sort of having heaven unfold for you a little bit. Obviously, never the heights and depths. Um, So I just wanted to throw that out there because that's partly why I wanted you to come and talk about it. Yes, and um, I'm not offended if you want to poo-poo my my own visions that I've had, you know, and I'm not saying uh, they're Bible word or whatever, but um, yeah. But I think partly the reason that you enjoyed this book so much was because it was taken directly from the Bible and it reinforced the things that you saw. That's right. So you could feel clear, this is what the Bible says. That's right. Because you wouldn't want anything that isn't what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. So I just wanted to do a short introduction of this book. And part of, by reading um, one of the forewords or recommendations of the book by a man named Stu Weber. He's a pastor and author of Tender Warrior. And when I read his recommendation, I thought, yes, that's exactly how I feel. So he said, um, seldom have I had the chance to witness both true genius and genuine humility in the same person. Randy Alcorn is a fully devoted follower of Christ. I believe God has sovereignly prepared Randy over his lifetime for the writing of this book on heaven. He has long reflected upon this subject And this book is the fruit of his biblically disciplined study and his sacred imagination. Randy is a wonderfully original thinker, yet a thoroughgoing biblicist. Other than the Bible itself, this book may be the single most life-changing book you'll ever read. It has certainly refueled my soul and given me a fresh sense of purpose and drive. Having read this book, I will never be the same. And so I just want to add to that, um, I'm only, we're only giving tidbits tonight. This book is pretty thick and just has so much information in it. So if nothing else, I really would encourage you to go get a copy of this book. We'll um, come back and say the name of it again at the end of the broadcast for anybody who wants to pick it up. I just looked up Stu Weber and I discovered that he is an Oregonian. Whoa. They always are. As is Randy Alcorn. I didn't know that. The author of the book. Shows how much I know. (laughs) But it's funny. It's always Oregon. Yay, Oregon. Portland is an influential place (laughs) in lots of different ways. (laughs) Um, So uh, here's Randy Alcorn's premise for this whole book. He says, the heaven that we think of when Christ returns will be on earth. It will be a new heaven. The heaven that we know of now will come down to earth. The new heaven will be very similar to our earth that we now live on, except that it will be perfect, unmarred by sin, and we will be able to see into the heavenly realm and see heavenly beings. Um, Alcorn believes that the present earth will be 
bursting. No, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Alcorn believes that our present Earth is bursting with clues about what heaven will be like. And I love that. The more I read this book, I'm just excited looking at nature, looking at animals, realizing everything on this earth is a clue to what heaven will be like. And then he says, the natural beauty of earth, such as sunsets, flowers, mountains, and even culture will be part of the new heaven. And then he, there's a scripture from 2 Peter 3:13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm looking forward to getting back to that topic of righteousness dwelling on earth because it's so far from our thinking, it's hard to even fathom it. But I wanted to ask you first, how does um, all of that, the idea of the um, beauty of our natural world, etc., align with some of the visions that you have had? Um, I'm just, because because we'll be talking about that throughout the broadcast, I'm just going to start with this, that um, about 20 years ago, I was driving home from the Oregon coast, and I was just, I was by myself, I was worshiping, I was singing praises to God, and I can't tell you how, but all of a sudden I had a vision of my heavenly home, my heavenly mansion. (laughs) And it was like a home that had water in the front, water in the back. I saw mountains. Um, I saw the most gorgeous, amazing flowers. Um, So just just that, it was like a peek into my mansion uh, in heaven. And so reading this book and and here and reading about how Alcorn says um, that this is just a slight imitation of heaven, this earth, and that's what I saw. So I guess just something like that. It just it has helped me. So as I read through your notes for tonight's broadcast, I was impressed with how um, biblically founded it all is, and since the Bible does actually reveal so much about heaven in scripture, there it is, black and white. Why is it that you think that Christians are often confused about heaven? How does how did that happen yeah. that we've gotten to this place? I'm sure there's many reasons. I mean, Satan, of course, he doesn't want us to know about heaven. I believe he's the number one uh, uh, promoter of uh, diminishing it, pretending it's not there, all of that, of course, um, because heaven is our hope. Heaven is what we look forward to. But another interesting thing that Randy Alcorn brought up is that Eastern religion and philosophy have infiltrated our culture and brought disease to even the Christian's idea of heaven. And um, he talks about Buddhism, which where Buddhists say, one day all desire will be eliminated. That's, that's their karma. That's their wonderful thing. Oh, good. We don't desire anything anymore. And some Christians indeed teach that in heaven, we'll just be floating on clouds, giving praise, doing nothing else. But Christianity does not teach that. It teaches the opposite, that desires will be fulfilled and that our desires will be purified. Our desires will please God. God created our desires and every object we desire 
Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Yes, um, I can see how feeling like your desires are never going to be met leaves you with such an emptiness that the opposite of that, not having any desire, would be preferable. But to think that your desires actually could be met, that the hole in your heart could be filled, that you could have that perfection that every person longs for since they leave the warmth of the womb is way more exciting, isn't it? Yes. It's, yes. it's awesome. It is. It is. Well, I've always wondered on the topic of, you said that our desires will be purified and please God. And we know that's far from the truth now for all of us. I've always wondered how it is that we won't sin anymore in heaven. We give our lives to Christ. We're fully committed to him. We strive to live for him. And yet, even Paul said it, woe to me for I do which I, that which I do not want to do, sinful man. So how do we, how does, what happens when we get into heaven that we aren't like that anymore? Well, that's a really um, good question. And it's a hard question to answer. And I'm not going to go into it all because I just don't think we have time. I, I just want to bring up that he has a whole chapter on that. The chapter title is, Will We Be Capable of Sinning? Can we know we won't sin? Will we um, have free will in heaven? Will we ever be tempted? Will we really be perfect? All that's exactly what I'm wondering. Yes. He's what, put it much more concisely. What is our hope of living without sin? So I'm sorry, I'm not going to go into that because it's it's kind of complicated. Maybe we could do another broadcast, go into some of those. But I do want to read. Um, so I feel like what you're telling me is, why don't you read this book yourself? <laughs> yes. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> but this goes along with it. I'm going to read a little bit out of uh, uh, page 278 of his book about the desire and, and God uh, redeeming our desires. He says that desire is an essential part of humanity, a part that God built into people before sin casts its dark shadow on earth. He says, I'm looking forward to having my desires redeemed. Even now, as redeemed children of God, we get tastes of that, don't we? Yes. Mm-hmm. I have to say, we I do. do. Absolutely, yeah. we do. Yes. And then For example, I don't watch R-rated movies anymore. Right. And I know there was a time when I was younger when I would have said, that's stupid. Or I just wouldn't have even wanted to not watch R-rated movies. <laughs> so it's amazing that without my even sort of realizing it, I don't want to. I have no desire to. Yes. I've been purified. Yes. yes. God's purified me from certain books I was reading is what, yes. Mm -hmm. There's many examples, I guess. I'm sure we all have many examples. He says, um, won't it be wonderful to be free from uncertainty about our desires? We often wonder, is it good or bad for me to want this thing or that award or his approval or her appreciation? Boy, I agree with that. Sure. Absolutely. Sometimes I don't know which desires are right and which aren't. I long to be released from the uncertainty and the doubt. I long to be capable of always wanting what's good and right. In C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, his characters arrive in New Narnia. If you haven't read that, read it. It's about the um, end times. It's really good. The Last Battle. Um, But Lucy, one of the characters, says... I have a feeling we've got to the country 
where everything is allowed. I thought that was good. <laughs> Augustine expressed a similar thought. Love God and do as you please. We will love God wholeheartedly and therefore will want to do only what pleases him. God placed just one restriction on Adam and Eve in Eden, mm -hmm. and when they disregarded it, the universe unraveled. On the new earth, that test will no longer be before us. God's law, the expression of his attributes, will be written on our hearts, and that's from Hebrews 8.10. No rules will be needed, for our hearts will be given over to God. David said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Why? Because when we delight in God and abide in him, whatever we want will be exactly what he wants for us. What we should do will at last be identical with what we want to do. There will be no difference between duty and joy. That makes sense. That's awesome. I like what Lucy said. I think we've reached the country where everything is allowed. Yes. And our desires will be so purified that, praise God, we only want what he wants. I've listened to um, John Piper on that topic, and that's essentially what he says. He, he almost goes so far as to say we won't have any more free will. But his point is that we will be so given over to God that we will want his will yes. to the point of not sinning anymore. Yes. I did love what Randy Alcorn said on free will because he believes, he discusses, I think he even brings up Piper and says that some theologians um, do think that, but he believes we will still have free will. And I can't say it like he did. So again, you'll have to get the book to read what he says about free will in heaven. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. That's something that I've always chewed on and sort of tried to read about here and there. But I've been pretty um, dissatisfied with the answers that I've come to. I think from reading C.S. Lewis, if I read someone like John Piper saying, you won't have free will in heaven. But I've already read C.S. Lewis very clearly and concisely say, that is a lie of Satan. Satan wants you to believe that you're going to sort of become this big amalgamous blob with God. Exactly. And in a sense, you will cease to exist. And something about that is abhorrent to us because mm -hmm. we know that we've been created as individuals and there's something special and precious about that. Yes. So, yeah. So I've never been able to go down the, you won't have any more free will yes. thinking. Yes. That's good. That kind of goes right into, I was going to talk about what Hinduism yes. also teaches, which is kind of what you were saying, that we will lose our personal identities and become indistinguishable from God. Um, but that is another lie that Satan is bringing into our culture. Um, it's so sad because I think, if, if I think about it, Satan even wants the whole world to be, he wants us to have the whole world be the same. Like, I love the beauty of our different cultures and our, our expressions and how different we all are. We're not one big mass. Um, but anyway, um, Alcorn, in addressing some of that, he says, if Bob, a man on earth, is no longer Bob when he gets to heaven, then in fact, Bob didn't go to heaven. Snap. <laughs> yeah, right. very simple. Absolutely. Very simple. Then he brought up um, Luke twenty four thirty nine when 
Jesus rose from the dead. And, and remember, um, Thomas said, I won't believe it until I see it. Well, when Jesus appeared, he said, it is me. It's I myself. It's me. Touch me and see. He wasn't a blob. He didn't. Okay, <laughs> he but was he was him. God. So yes, the idea true. would be that you become him. It's true. But, but Randy uses Jesus a lot as an example of this is what happened to him when he died. We're his sons and daughters. So this is most likely um, what will happen with us. It makes sense yeah. if uh, there are two Adams. Yeah. There are pictures of us. Mm-hmm. And then a couple scriptures. Um, Isaiah 66, 22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And another example would... Oh, yeah, that's really good. I thought that was mm-hmm. really good. And Jesus said uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration... <laughs> did I say that wrong? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, um, Moses and Elijah appeared. They were still who they were. As well, um, Jesus says, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's still talking about them. They're alive. That he knows their names. Um, and then I'm just going to share another quote from C.S. Lewis. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm going to read something else from the book. Let's see. i got to find it. Okay. <laughs> She's flipping pages. It is a very I, um, hefty let's book. Let's see. 280. Just look at your notes here. She's got lots of bookmarks in it and little scraps of paper. She looks like a college professor. <laughs> okay, here it is. Um, the, the topic of this was, will we lose ourselves? And at the very end of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found most among the most natural men, not among those who surrender to Christ. How monotonously alike all the great tyrants and conquerors have been. How gloriously different are the saints. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. I love that so much. I particularly like the part about the sameness of all the tyrants. Yes. It's really true. Yes. This need to murder or kill. But I mean, we've covered a couple of different saints here, David Livingston and Amy Carmichael and Samuel Rutherford, and their lives are dramatically different. Yes, yes, yes. And it's funny because it's two sides of a coin. Because we're saying we don't want to lose ourselves. You know, we'll still be who we are, but we don't know who we are until we die. (laughs) Give ourselves to Christ. And there's a Jars of Clay song, something like he names you. And he does. He names us. He tells us who we are. Yeah. Then we become our full selves. Um, I think they took that from 
the hinds feet on high places. Yes. That yes. They, she starts off, her name is Much Afraid. Yes. I can't remember what her name becomes. Isn't that, it's been years since I read the book. Can't remember. But either. yes, then he gives those, the real names who you really are. Yes. When you die. Yes. And she does have to die first to find her new name right. in Christ. Right. I love Another that. Another really good book. Hind's Feet on High Places. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Sorry. Um, and then back to Buddhism again. Uh, Buddhism knows no rec- resurrection. They teach that time will just be extinguished. And so even some Christian thinkers. Um, and I think we already said this, but I'm just going to read what I wrote. That Satan's purpose is to dehumanize heaven and divorce it from the existence that we know. Since we cannot desire what we cannot imagine, this misunderstanding has robbed us of desire for heaven. Yes, and that is really what I feel like I see, not only in the culture, I see that in the culture, but I see it in my own life too. Somehow, it's almost harder to fully believe in heaven than it is to believe in God. I feel like my belief in God is pretty unshakable. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. heaven is incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just incomprehensible. I just can't get there mentally. Mm-hmm. Or we think, if we think about it, we're we're somehow not being good Christians. Like we shouldn't do that because it might be unbiblical. We think those kinds of things too, I think. So I better yeah. not think yeah. about it. Well, I need to be focused on here and what I need to, yeah. Right. Not be daydreaming. And I actually have never had that, never felt like I shouldn't think about it. Well, when oh. I, I remember when I was in college, um, somebody actually told me I was <laughs> too heavenly minded. That you know, don't yes. be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I have that quote at the end. Oh, you do. Today. <laughs> yes. And uh, you know, it stayed with me, and it hounded me. I really thought, oh no, you know, I don't want to be that person. But for whatever reason, I was that person. And you are. <laughs> And I am. I. This is just a silly aside, but one time when we were in Berlin, we were having a white elephant party with our, the people that we regularly worshipped with, and we. One of the gifts was a little thing that said, um, "Home is where your heart is," which is just such a, a, a cliche. Saying, you know, it's yeah. such a cliche. Yeah. And I remember the man who got it, without skipping a beat, he said, "My heart's in heaven." I don't know why that just stuck with me. It wouldn't have been my first thought. My heart's in heaven. But why should our hearts not be in heaven? That is our home. And it should be what we're longing for and what our eyes are fixed on all the time. And that just so impressed me. Yes, yes. I thought, yeah, that's where I want my heart to be too. (laughs) That's good. That reminds me of that verse, we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Yes, that's what it says. Ephesians yes. four two or two four, <laughs> <laughs> definitely Ephesians. Um, so let's go on now. I think that you have a bunch of like really specific things that the Bible talks about uh, being in heaven. So why don't you go ahead and um, walk through some of those things? Because that is to me where it gets really exciting. Okay, that's the meat. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so there will be actual cities in heaven. And, you know I'm a city girl. So. <laughs> and I really want to remind you as you're listening to this, because he really keeps bringing this out. You know, it does say there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So we don't, now we, have, we think of heaven as being up there in the sky. Well, another dimension. Another dimension. But what we're talking about is a new earth. So on that new earth, which is heaven. But wait a minute. If there's a new heaven and a new earth, why are we not talking about the new heaven? 
He says the new, because God says I create a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible describes that new earth. And he believes, um, and I didn't bring any biblical um, things you know, for this, but he believes that we'll be able to peek into that. Like we'll be on earth, but see heaven. Well, who's see in that heaven then? Angels, maybe. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Another topic for okay. another time. Go yes. ahead. What okay. does the Bible teach us so about So there will be new earth. cities, Hebrews eleven ten and thir- chapter 13, verse 14 says, for he, talking about Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Isn't that exciting? We have built all of our cities here. God will be the designer and builder of the cities in heaven. Um, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Then in Luke 19, 12 to 27, it's the parable from Jesus about the 10 talents and where um, more would be given to the faithful servants in heaven which indicates work and commerce. And that is, some people could argue and say, well, that's just a parable. But um, Randy Alcorn believes Jesus told parables that weren't just fairy tales. They were allusions to... Illustrations. Or Yeah, yeah, illustrations or pictures, I guess. I meant Mm -hmm. when I said illusions. Um, And I thought that was an interesting one. I always did just look at that as a parable. I never thought about giving money and investing and work. And so that was interesting to me. And then Revelation um, 21, verses 22 to 27, talks about the city, but also talks about nations, talks about kings. The way it describes Jerusalem, we know it will be a very opulent city. And so when it says those words, it says city, nations, kings, all that, we don't need to like scratch our heads and go, hmm, I wonder what he means by city. (laughs) (laughs) We know. We know cities have buildings, culture, art, music, athletics, goods, and services. And we know there's people engaged in all these activities and gatherings. That's an Alcorn quote, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, it is. I guess I just want to appear more clever than I am. No, you don't. (laughs) I know you're not thinking that. (laughs) Um, The next thing is there will be parks in heaven. Revelation 22, 1-2 mentions rivers, trees, leaves. And that's all the verses I have on parks, but I wanted to segue... And just tell about. Um, I used. Can I just ask a sure, question there? Sure. Does it how, like, okay, we know there will be nature, so that could be rivers, trees, and leaves. How does that add up to parks? Well, the other thing he says is the Garden of Eden, is our picture of heaven, mm-hmm. the perfect place that God created, and we know that was a garden, that was a beautiful place. So that, along with mentioning. Like when it talks about the river in Revelation, there's trees lined on either side of it. It's described in a beautiful way. I guess I just, that's just nature to me. A park to me is nature within a city. But I mean, I'm not saying I don't believe it. Why wouldn't there be? I just wondered why. I think he's equating parks with gardens. He just used the word parks because he also uses it interchangeably with the Garden of Eden when he talks about it. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So when we think of gardens as Europeans, we think about the big, we call them gardens, the big green spaces within an urban setting, like, um, I don't know, like the gardens in London or the gardens in Berlin. Yes. But right. when people here think of gardens, they think of their vegetable <laughs> garden true. in their backyard. That's true. And uh, So I'm just clarifying. I know you're thinking about the yes. urban, beautiful, yes. um, well-manicured, well-planted green spaces. Yes. That's as funny. opposed to your garden. I hadn't thought of that, of a vegetable garden. <laughs> That's I true. Was, when I first got here, I was showing a friend of mine. We were talking about my backyard. And I kept saying garden, garden, garden. <laughs> and she was confused because I don't have a garden back there, not a vegetable <laughs> garden. And then I realized I was just saying the wrong <laughs> words. This is just a yard. <laughs> that's hilarious. But in German, that's your garden. Yes, yeah. yes, anyway. that's right. That's right. And so um, what I wanted to share about a vision was I used to, one of the things I did in Berlin was I would prayer walk. And I tried to just prayer walk every district, every area of Berlin. So basically I would get on a, um, the train And I would just start praying. Where should I get off this train? Then I would get off. I would say, I would start walking. I know this probably sounds silly to some of you, but I would just want the Holy Spirit to guide me. He might say, turn left here, turn right here. It might be silly, but it's better than people who've literally never prayed for their city. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, and I'm praying during the whole time, not just saying, which way do I go? (laughs) I'm praying. Anyway, um, this seems miraculous to me, even now when I think about it. I had no idea where I was. I'd never been in these places before. And inevitably, I would come to a park. I it, it, you know, like the first two or three times it happened, I thought, wow, this is so cool. You know, God led me to a park. But it happened over and over and over again. And so then I would just uh, prayer walk in that park. And this happened over and over. It would be while I'm in that park, it was as if the Holy Spirit showed me what Berlin will would look like. I don't know if during the millennial reign or during the new earth, but I would see this in my mind's eye. I would see people dancing and I remember it specifically in Berlin I would see Jews and I guess just because you know they were all captured and taken out of their city but I would see Jewish messianic Jews I guess (laughs) saved Jews dancing I would see these gorgeous flowers and I would just see like the whole community coming into the park of that area and just enjoying each other and worshiping. It was just amazing. That's awesome. It's funny, my uh, brother-in-law's band is playing in the background right now, Ausklang. And I would just love as well for them to be part of that. Yes. Making their music for the Lord. Yes, that would be wonderful. So I wanted to chime in here for the vision skeptic. On these kinds of things that my mom was seeing, she was not predicting someone's future. And she has never tried to earn money by sharing these visions. They are not intended to give anyone guidance for their future or for their life or for their, well, maybe for their joy in the Lord, but not for their theological understanding. Um, They were given for her refreshment to increase her love of Christ. And I know that some people just have a general objection to anybody claiming that they have visions, 
But I just think as long as this isn't going against the Bible or you're not using it as a tool to try to say, oh, you're prophetic, this or that, uh, give people words, that you it's just completely harmless. It could have been your imagination. You're fine with that. Hey, it could have been a picture of the millennial reign, and that's exciting. Yeah. I So anyway... I just want to speak to those skeptics. What's the big deal? <laughs> I guess that's what it all comes down to <laughs> Thank for <you>, me. <laughs> yeah. So that's go ahead funny. and go on with some more about oh. what the Bible says that we will there will be in heaven. Okay. Um, there will be mountains in heaven. Revelation twenty one ten speaks of a great high mountain. Alcorn says that we can assume since there is one mountain here and there in the new city. There will be hundreds or thousands mm-hmm. of them. So mm-hmm. again, that, I guess that is an assumption, but it's a good assumption, I think. Yes. Um, he says there will be rain. Ezekiel 34, 26 to 27 says, And I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season. They will be showers of blessing, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they be they shall be secure in their land. Now I always heard that because um, there's songs. There will be showers of blessing, and um, I never. I always thought this was just a, a, a vision of shower like that, not rain. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, well, he's talking about the earth yielding the fruit and. And that comes by rain. So anyway, that's what Randy Alcorn thinks. And um, I did have a vision of rain as well, so I wanted to share that. And this was just so amazing. So after I don't I my son died um, when he was 28 years old. And after he passed, um, God gave me more visions of heaven and that vision I first told you about, about my mansion um, that I saw coming home from the beach, I only saw the outside. Well, in these <laughs> new visions, God took me inside, and um, my my mansion was actually a cottage. It looked like an English cottage, and we'll talk about that later. Um, I never even thought, oh, that's not a mansion, that's just a cottage. In the vision, I just thought it was the most gorgeous, beautiful thing. And it would, that is what I would want. (laughs) And so anyway, in this um, cottage, there was a music room. So I would, okay, so we were in Berlin at this time. And every morning I would have my quiet time. Then I would get my guitar and I would worship. And while I was worshiping, I don't know, I can't explain to you how I would have the vision. I wasn't like transparent. I just saw it in my mind's eye. That's the best way I can say. And all of a sudden, I would be in my mansion in this music room. And my son would be there and some other people that had died, just and then people I didn't know. And everybody's worshiping, and we're all worshiping together. And while we were worshiping, um, there was um, there's an ocean in front of my mansion. There's a lake in the back. And all of a sudden, it started raining, just like pouring into the room. And you know how some when it really rains on earth and we have floods and it brings the water up? Well, that's what happened. The bodies of water in heaven were just flooding. And so then it just started flooding. So 
the room was flooded and water came up to our knees. And okay, on earth we would all go, oh no, the instruments are going to be ruined. What's it going to do to the guitars and the pianos? But everybody was just like rejoicing and praising. And it was more like an oil. It was like a refreshment. It was it was just like the most fun thing. And then because the water had swelled up in this in the ocean, people were just praising him like in the waves or praising him in the water. That's the best way I can describe it. It was very beautiful. I know like having that vision, I was thinking that about, whoa, the water's going to ruin everything. And I don't know how long later, a week later, I had another vision. I was back in that music room and everything was perfect. And I knew that the water hadn't done anything. The piano was perfect. The guitars were perfect, everything. So I feel, I have to say, I feel kind of embarrassed and vulnerable sharing this, which verifies what Brianna said. I don't just go around sharing this. (laughs) And again, it's okay if you don't want to... believe it or whatever but that's what I saw so then when I read that Randy Alcorn said there's rain in heaven I thought ah that was like my vision so I'll go on (laughs) okay he says and I think this one we all know he says there's homes in heaven and so we all know that verse you know it's good for you that I go away because I'm gonna go prepare a place for you in my father's house are many mansions I have loved that verse for as long as I can remember and I remember about a we were in a another church in uh, Fayetteville North Carolina and he said that does not mean mansions <laughs> and I remember thinking what that's all I've ever heard And so uh, Randy Alcorn talks about that. And he says, when it says many mansions, that was interpreted wrong. And it literally says dwelling places, separate dwelling places on a single estate. So he says then that the estate is heaven. And of course, heaven is big enough (laughs) to have houses. So that kind of helped me um, because the way I had heard it described we're just all going to be together, you know, like we're not really going to have houses. Um, he says, Father's house refers to heaven. Oh, I just said that. Yeah. Um, I think the point is maybe they're not lavish, you know, but there's enough room for everyone. And again, then back to my vision, sorry, of um, my, what I saw in heaven. Again, that felt like, okay, yeah doesn't have to be lavish but God knows what everybody wants maybe there will be rooms who knows I have read another book where um, a man saw visions of little rooms that were just near to the father's throne Um, so who knows you know what they'll be like and then um, yeah that's true because how we were saying that we've been stitched together (laughs) like and there's a place prepared for us that if it's like a hand in a glove there's somebody who doesn't want more than that? Who yes. would be content to be close to Christ? And yes. people are just made so differently. Yes. Our desires are so different when yes. it comes to that kind of thing. Yes. So and it's I, nice to know that the thing that your heart would be longing for, that's what God can yes. provide for you yes. and wants to provide for you. Yes. And I suppose there's some beautiful, holy, godly widow that never had anything, nothing. 
and she would never expect anything. And then she goes to heaven and God gives her this huge mansion. You know, <laughs> who knows? Um, but I like this one too, uh, because it also speaks about um, houses. It's Isaiah 65, 21, and it's prophesying about the new heaven and earth. And it says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. I thought that was just beautiful. Yeah, that's good. And even, you know, now on earth, we know somebody could come get our house. We could lose it. Um, nothing is uh, secure here on this earth. Um, the other thing he says is that we will have a body in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 40 to talks about heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. So we know what a body is. There's a natural body and a spiritual body. So, you know, a lot of people just think we're going to be spirits that have no, we won't even recognize each other. But he's trying to bring out that we will have bodies and that our bodies will rest because there's a verse that says we will rest from our labors. And that's not referring to our time on earth? No. No, because here we don't get a lot of, we get rest at night, but we don't actually get a lot of rest (laughs) from our neighbors, do we? That's right. So um, in conclusion, we live, this is from Randy Alcorn. We live on the remnants of a perfect world. The remnants. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that is so good. I hadn't thought of that either. And we get to see that sometimes. Exactly. Well, today we went to Lake of the Woods. We had a beautiful sunny day. And it did feel like we were in the remnants of heaven. It did. I mean, it was just gorgeous. It did. That's a moment. You get those moments where you see. That's right. The perfect garden that God made for us all. And sometimes I'm just overwhelmed how long man has been on earth and how we've messed it up. But yet you can still see that. It's amazing. Yet you still have the lake of the woods with the mountains reflecting in it. That's right. And I hadn't thought about Eden being a remnant uh, you know, no, yeah. of that. That there is a remnant of right, Eden. Yeah. Right, yeah. We live in the in-between, t- in the in-between, hearing echoes of Eden and the approaching footfalls of the new earth. Hallelujah. It's exciting, <laughs> right? Yes. It really is exciting to think about all of that, that when we're in Christ, we will get all of that. Amen. So on that topic, uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to play a song. This is another oldie. This is by Ten Shekel Shirt. It's called Ocean. I have to say, I never liked this guy's voice very much. Do you like it? I do. She likes it. I don't. But I like the song. I like the words. And I thought it was very apropos, our topic tonight. So here is Ten Shekel Shirt's Ocean. I hate to turn off by Jan Tiersen. But here we go. So he, he says something about... And after all of our talk, I would say that something is the fact that it's a picture of heaven and what's coming for us. Yes, yes. It gives us, it fills us with that great love for God Mm -hmm. and understanding that he created it for us. Right. And because of his great love for us. Yes. Okay, but that song talks about the ocean. And I know there's a specific scripture that says there will be no more sea. Yes. In heaven, which is crazy because... 
okay, sorry, I'm not trying to call the word of God crazy, <laughs> but I think like he sings in that song, the ocean is for a lot of people the most powerful picture of God. It can be so cathartic. It's where we have these amazing spiritual experiences. So how could there be no more ocean in heaven? <laughs> does Randy Alcorn talk about that? Yes, he does. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to do a little segue here. I know we're, we're running a little late, but um, I'm going to promote and plug. I hope you don't mind. I wrote a book about my visions. It's called Grief Opened the Door to Heaven. But the reason I'm bringing it up now is because I do talk about the ocean in that book. And I've had people say, well, you know, I don't agree with your visions. And also in Intramuros, this, the first book I talked about, she talks about the sea. And another, so I have both of these books. My book is on YouTube and Intramuros, I read it on YouTube. But I even had people comment when they were listening to Intramuros, oh, well, I'm not going to listen anymore because it's you're, she talks about the sea. Okay. So <laughs> I was happy to read this from Randy Alcorn about the no more sea. And he says, and that's, that's by in, the way, that's Revelations 21.1. Thank you, Bree. Yeah. Yes. He says that most scholars believe this refers to salt oceans. Then he goes on to say, Revelation 22, 1 to 2, talks about a big river in Jerusalem. And so as he assumes there's a big mountain, he assumes there are huge lakes and rivers all over the new earth. Um, but then in Isaiah 65, it says, then you shall see, and again, this is a prophecy about heaven then you shall see and be radiant your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you oh i'm so sorry i completely forgot something i'm so so sorry to interrupt i am required to say that you are listening to ktec 89.5 fm in kalamath falls woohoo there you go <laughs> good job thank Bri. you for joining us here on ktec 89.5 fm yes kalamath falls yes broadcasting from oit okay back to where you were you were reading from isaiah yes and then it says it i first start I, over from isaiah 65 i read 60 verse 5 which says then you shall see and be radiant your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you then in verse 9 and by the way the, the last chapters of Isaiah are just amazing prophetic words about heaven but verse 9 says for the coastlands shall hope for me the ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar so Randy says coastlands were islands and the mention of ships seems to be sailing on seas so why does it say that in Revelations? Because they are probably not these giant salty oceans. That's what Re Alcorn believes, yes. Mm. And I mean, the Mediterranean is a sea, not yes, an ocean. Yes, It feels true. like you're on the ocean when yes, you're there, though. Yes, true, right. So I know I saw the ocean in my vision. If you want to believe my visions, <laughs> it was beautiful. And like Bree said, it's hard to imagine heaven without an ocean because mm -hmm. the the awesomeness they pro of the power um, and the beauty shows God for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on. So that's, I love all that stuff that 
just that there's biblical evidence that there's going to be so much of what we know on earth in heaven. Yes. It'll be very, some things will be similar. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's exciting. But let's talk about the millennial reign of Christ, which is on earth. It's a little bit of a different topic, but kind of a similar topic. So what does the Bible say about that? Is it like heaven? Uh, or is that like earth, but with God as the ruler? Will it be perfect? Will there be sin? Etc. All very good questions. And Randy addresses this briefly in his book. He What he addresses is that there's actually three different main viewpoints. There's the post-millennial viewpoint, the pre-millennial viewpoint, and the amillennial viewpoint. And he takes the pre-millennial. So he believes there there will be a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth where he will finally reign. It's what we'll always have dreamed of. <laughs> kind of like, in a way, it's kind of neat that because don't you want Christ to rule over our enemies, to rule over all the tyrants? He has, so that's what he believes um, will happen. And he believes, at, well, it says in the Bible that at the end of that thousand year reign, um, that Satan will stir up God's enemies and there will be another war. Um, so, that's not the Battle of Armageddon. That comes before the millennium, then the millennium, and then another battle, then the new earth, the new heaven, and the new earth. Okay. And at that point, after that second battle in the millennium, that's when Satan will be bound and thrown yes. into the pit of fire. Yes. Well, it's, it does say he'll be um, thrown in the millennium into a pit and then released. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So possibly during that time, there could still be sin on earth. But with a perfect judge. Randy Alcorn believes there will be. And a perfect uh, judicial system. Yes. To yes. arbitrate all of that. Yes. He okay. doesn't go into it too deep because he says, regardless of when the old earth ends, a new earth will begin. And so that's what he wanted to concentrate gotcha. on. Gotcha. Okay. So I mentioned at the beginning, we were going to be coming, circling back around to this. These books that have been written in the last couple of decades where people have gone to heaven or they say they visited heaven. Have you read the, any of those books? And what do you think about them? I have. <laughs> I wrote down two. This is what I can remember. I read Heaven is for Real by Todd Burpo. That's the one about the little boy that almost died and went into heaven and they made a movie, Heaven is for Real. And then um, I read another one by Don Piper called 40 Minutes in Heaven. And it was really good. The reason the Don Piper one was good was because he's theologically sound. Um, he didn't have any weird, quirky things. Like the Burpo book does. No, I kind of like the Burpo book, too. Okay, so you don't really have an objection to those books. I don't. I know some people do. I don't. Um, now, is it? it's not Burpo. It's another boy named Robert. One of those heaven-visiting kids has now come forward yes, and said it wasn't true. That's right. And that one was written after Heaven is for Real. Okay. So you kind of think he thought, oh, they're making money. I'm going to try and make some money. Mm, sure. And mm -hmm. as far as I know, the boy in Heaven is for Real, you know, he's grown up now. He's not recanted. He hasn't said that wasn't true. Okay. And then what about Cat uh, Carr's book about, so they do a thing. Cat Carr is Bill Johnson's assistant. No, my mom's shaking her head dramatically. <laughs> 
No, Am I saying not the wrong related. Name? I know who you're talking about. That's a different book. Sorry, that's Judy Johnson. I can't think of the name of the book, but Cat Carr has. You'd know her if you're into these worlds. She has pink hair, and she just calls herself a prophet. Now, what do you think about her books? Where she's, I mean, okay. So in the charismatic world, people often do what they call visits to heaven. Right. They'll sit down, they'll have a prayer time, and they'll go and right. get these visions where they say they're visiting heaven. Right. What are you, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I read her this book. It was kind of before she was popular. And the reason I accepted it at the time is because she made it very clear that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And she shared the real gospel in the book. So I thought, hmm. Um, but But it was kind of weird. I mean, she had weird things like, Disneyland is in heaven and people will get to be in the movie Sound of Music. I can't, there was all these weird things. Mm, mm-hmm. So I read it, but but now um, since that was years and years ago, I believe she's a false prophet. She has prophesied things like she prophesied that Trump would be president. Um, a second term. Yes. Mm-hmm. And obviously that did not happen. And she just got weirder and weirder as time went on. So, yes, I would not recommend that book. How would you uh, recommend people having discernment to know whether they should or shouldn't read a book? Or maybe it's okay to read it as long as you're reading it with open eyes that you know that not everything that's written or taught about heaven is the truth. That's right. That's Maybe right. that's just the key that we could yes. just leave it at that. Yes. Yeah. I would say to just get this, <laughs> get this book on heaven by Randy Alcorn. <laughs> it's just perfect. I feel like it just covers everything. It's biblically solid, biblically balanced, and then don't worry about it. It's going to give you that, what we're hoping this episode will give you that little bit of kick of inspiration to be excited about what God has for you. Yes. Right. And that's really yes. what we would hope that right. we would accomplish with our conversation. Tonight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So my final thought, uh, C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. He said that when in the 1940s, the 1950s. Whoa. So we touched on this saying in the broadcast, this old, this silly saying, do not be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. And I think that that very idea has done much harm to the church and to Christ followers. Amen. C.S. Lewis is exactly right. If we allow ourselves to be overjoyed by our anticipation of heaven and a very real belief in its delights, and indeed our desire to bless others now will increase. And the same is true if we flip the coin. If we truly believe in the horrors of hell, our desires to save others from it should also increase dramatically. Amen. We will become more earthly good by our focus and understanding that this is not the end. This isn't all. And that what is to come is either very, 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 very excellent or very, very, very horrible. Yes. So... On that, I I would encourage you to dive into this topic yourself. Allow yourself to be swept off your feet by thoughts of heaven's joys and God's great love for you. We're going to say the names of the two books we mentioned again tonight. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Yes. And the other one is? Intramuros by Rebecca Springer. And there's there's an updated version I would not recommend. It's called um, 
entered the gates or through something. Through the gates. Through the gates. Yeah. I would look for Intramuros. And it's online free, actually. You can get it PDF free. And or you can listen to Kim reading it. Say your YouTube channel again. You can find me on YouTube by typing in Kim Droptini. D-R-O-P-T-I-N-Y. And you will find um, I, I do read books and do Kim's musings. And if you want to send me an email, if you have any questions, if you want to throw in your thoughts about people having visions of heaven, my email address is Bree, that's B-R-E, at DiverseBreakthrough.com. Break, B-R-E-A-K, through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H. That's Bree at DiverseBreakthrough.com. So until next week... May our hearts and minds be fertile ground. I'm going to end this broadcast by playing a song by United Pursuit. It is called Head to the Heart. This is a song about allowing that knowledge of Christ, that knowledge of heaven, to sink from our heads into our hearts. And that is really my hope and my prayer that this broadcast would do that for you a little bit. Sprinkle some of that head knowledge into your heart and fill you with joy and thanksgiving about what is coming to you. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be here next Monday night. I don't know about we. I will be here next Monday night. Maybe we will be here next Monday night. We sure appreciate you tuning in. 